On this episode of Geek 4, I'm talking with Dr. Amy H. Sturgis about the connections between the Star Wars and the Star Trek franchises. These are fandoms that have often figured themselves as being in opposition to each other. You're either a Star Wars fan or you're a Trekkie. But Amy has some interesting ideas about how much common ground these two franchises share. Amy has a PhD in history from Vanderbilt University and specializes in the intellectual history of speculative fiction. She teaches at Lenore Rhine University and Signum University and has taught Star Wars to either undergraduate or graduate students every year since 2015. In 2021, she offered a new graduate course called Exploring Star Trek. Amy is the author of four books and the editor or co-editor of ten others, including the forthcoming anthologies Star Trek, Essays Exploring the Final Frontier, and Star Wars, Essays Exploring a Galaxy Far, Far Away, both with co-editor and former guest Emily Strand. Sturgis has also published more than 60 essays, including articles in academic anthologies on Star Trek, and has been interviewed as a genre expert in a variety of programs, such as NPR, Huffington Post, and Life magazine. Each month, she contributes the Looking Back in Genre History segment to the Hugo Award-winning podcast, Starship Sofa. Her official website is amyhsturgis.com, and I'm thrilled to have her here to talk about Star Wars and Star Trek. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? Amy, welcome to Geek 4, and it's nice to finally meet you. Thank you so much. It is a delight to be here. Now, there are so many things that we could talk about because you have a wide variety of interests, a huge plethora of interests, and many of them actually intersect with things that I love. So we could we could probably talk for days, but we, we agree we're going to talk about Star Wars and Star Trek and the kind of the intersections between that. Yes. So I, I kind of want to, like, there's lots of things to, to start with, but I, I kind of want to start with your personal relationship with these franchises um how did you get into star wars and star trek well i was really fortunate in a lot of ways uh first by having parents who already loved science fiction and who were also really dedicated to uh encourage me in anything that i found interesting so i was like a sponge and you know if i if i showed hunger for something they just fed it and so I was interested from the word go. I grew up as a little girl uh, eating a steady diet and loving it of Star Trek, the original series in rerun, as well as Star Trek, the animated series in its original run. Mm. And I was young enough, you know, my imagination was in full bloom. I was very open to thinking in metaphors and to moving back and forth across media. I understood sort of instinctively that sometimes DeForest Kelly is a three-dimensional human being and sometimes he's a two-dimensional cartoon, but <laughs> every time he's wearing that tunic and talking that way, he's Dr. McCoy and all of these things fit together. And so I adored Star Trek. And I think there was a time when I was a toddler, I was pretty sure that the word TV actually meant Star Trek because if the TV was on and I was watching it, that's what was on there. And so then I was able to sort of leverage my love of Star Trek in the campaign I undertook when uh, Star Wars hit the theaters to convince my parents I was in fact old enough to go to the theater and see the movie. Because up to that point, I'd only seen, you know, movies aimed at small children, right? 
And so at the ripe old age of five, I got to go. They took me not once, but six times to see the original Star Wars. And so, you know, by the time I'm in first grade, I can throw a Vulcan salute, but I also had a lightsaber. And this seemed very natural to me. This was the way I was going to, to grow up, right? And so I'd never looked back from there. And I was also really fortunate in growing up in a city that had a fantastic science fiction bookstore. Oh. So shout out to my childhood, teenage, young adult experience with uh, Starbase 21 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They also sponsored an annual science fiction convention. So mm. in my teenage years and onward, I went to that every year. Lots of science fiction content, Star Trek, Star Wars, and lots of other things. But then at Starbase 21, I got an issue of Enterprise Incidents, the magazine, and that's where I discovered fan fiction and learned that was a thing. And so I, by my teen years, was reading fanzines and connected to fanzine producers and, and publishers. And so I had the good fortune to grow up both with the texts, the, the original works, the television series, the films, the novels, which mm -hmm. I you know, just gobbled down with great gusto, but also with this fandom that showed me that these creations created creators, that it was an invitation to be interactive and imaginative, that my world was a lot bigger than just my town because I was able to imaginatively leap to these different places, but also link with all these other people who were taking the same imaginative leaps I was. And so I really never looked back. I, I was sort of primed for it from the beginning and realized then as I was doing these other things, they were gateway drugs to great science fiction literature and other great science fiction film and television. And thinking about the big questions that science fiction poses. I love that it was natural for you to love both Star Trek and Star Wars, because in my experience, and I think that this is still very much the stereotype, that the, that those two franchises are kind of in competition with, you, with each other. They were making jokes about it on the Big Bang Theory quite recently. How did you find navigating the two? They are very different in their approach to space and science fiction. How did you find navigating the the, the, the fandoms of those two different communities? They are different. And yet I think they're asking some of the same things. Uh, again, they're, if I can sort of anthropomorphize them and suggest the franchises are sentient beings here, that they're inviting us to do something with the mm. stories they tell, to ask questions, to be involved, to apply the lessons that they're putting out there to our lives and to our world. And so I, I see a lot of carryover. I also think they're, languages. Um, you know, we have common vocabularies when we know we can, we can talk about the enterprise, when we can talk about the Death Star. And, and so it, it, we can instantly tap into a level of communication and, and metaphors and big ideas if we find people who speak that same language and understand mm -hmm. what we're saying. And I also think they're, they're both really set up to be modern mythologies in the way that they are bigger than the people who created them. 
they're bigger than the artists who interpret them and perform them. And in the same way, we have, you know, Sherlock Holmes. We're always revisiting Sherlock Holmes and reimagining Sherlock Holmes and reapplying Sherlock Holmes to new circumstances. We're, we're always coming back to these because they have something new to say. On the one hand, they're timeless. They're asking big questions about the human condition, but they're also always relevant because there are new parts of these immersive worlds we can explore. Um, we're, we're invited to go, you know, turn our eyes to the other, other little dark corner over there we haven't gone into yet and see what's going on over there. But also we can keep bringing them back and applying them in new ways. I mean, you know, Leonard Nimoy is the OG and I adore him. <laughs> but on the other hand, I've, there are things that Zachary Quinto and Ethan Peck have made me think about and have inspired me with in their performances too. And like Sherlock Holmes, like King Arthur, like other stories we have, um, I see these as being both timeless and, and applicable. I, I didn't realize for a long time that there was a kind of schism there. Mm -hmm. And even though there are um, authors who are writing in one universe or the other, that I just think are fantastic. There are also authors who are doing both. John Jackson Miller comes to mind, who writes wonderful novels in both Star Trek and Star Wars and comics too, for that matter, graphic novels. I, I think, I think it, part of it may be which one people are, are exposed to first. And so they mm -hmm. set up camp in one position or the other, but I see a lot more complementary uh, positions there between these two. I think they speak to each other in ways that are really useful. And since I had the good fortune to be in love with both of them by the time I was five and a half, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't see the differences there as much as I saw um, how how they were in conversation with each other. It's interesting. You described seeing Star Wars at a young age. Um, previous guest of mine, TJ Daw, um, we were talking about the history of pop culture, and he used the his parents took him when he was three, turning four. And I just started taking TJ's solo writing show class, and he he told that story again. And it like it is it is such a seminal moment for him that it shapes his whole life. And I, I think similarly, I mean, TJ and I are of similar age. I'm I, I'm I'm guessing we're of similar age. I'm not asking your age, um, <laughs> but that was like that. It's hard to tell people now what that was when the the word Star Wars came up, and I didn't see the first, I didn't see Star Wars in the theater. I saw Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I was a little too young to go to Star Wars. The crawl and just the imagination, and like this is a world bigger than me, and and done in a way that invites people in, like young people in. You know, it's not a kids' film. But it's mm -hmm. it's not trying to be a complicated adult film. It's it's accessible for kids. I think you're right. It just shapes people's imagination. And S Star Trek was something I was always fascinated by. But in the pre-internet age, when you couldn't get things readily available, uh, downloaded or brought you know brought to you through various means, uh, legal or not, it was a little harder to find. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad that you're 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 bringing these worlds together because it seems to me, especially now in this era of reboots and reimaginations, they're both actually doing things that are very similar. Um, yes. You know, with with the the expanded universes of both Star Trek is doing quite a lot actually right now. 
I'm curious. I'm curious, like how, how are you, how are you experiencing the new things that are coming out, the red shirts and, and Picard and all this other stuff? I'm loving it, first of all. I'm loving the fact that both of them, both both franchises are, are willing to try new things. And um, particularly in the streaming series I see right now, trusting particular creators to go try something. And so you have this kind of unified vision. It doesn't have to be like the box office tentpole that's going to please everyone. They can go off and do... Uh, smaller stories or more focused stories. And I also love seeing it. I, I teach courses on both at the college level, undergraduate and graduate level. And I love seeing students coming to these franchises from these new works and then discovering they can go back and mine these foundational texts that set up what they're so excited about. And so that that helps me see these in in new ways. But uh, I I watch just about everything, um, and and of course when they are trying new things, some things appeal to me more mm -hmm. than others, and that's fine. That's that's just you know I have favorite Star Trek television series, right? Who doesn't? So <laughs> so it's it, not all of them have to be the absolute. Uh, you know, tick every every box on my list. You know, there I like the fact that it's fresh and they're doing new things. But some of them are are really powerful. I, for example, I really like in Discovery these last couple of seasons. Moving so far in the future, they're having to ask, well, if we're going to reconstitute the Federation, what does the Federation mean? What what was the important part about that that we should try to bring back? How do we act on that? And, and asking foundational questions that are at the heart of what Star Trek is in this sort of new context and in a kind of post-apocalyptic context after the burn and such. Well, how are we going to, to answer these things? And that puts everything that came before in a new light. And I mm -hmm. love that. I love what Andor is doing in conversation with Rogue One. Mm -hmm. I, again, I'm a first-generation fan adored the original trilogy, but I think Andor and Rogue One together are, are some of the most important Star Wars ever made. And so I, I think uh, it's a very exciting time, both to be someone who already knows a lot of this stuff and, and grew up with this stuff and is familiar with it, to see people who grew up also as fans, they are now the creators. Mm. So there's sort of levels of storytelling here. Fans are getting to do the official work now but I also love seeing people come to it in a fresh way and seeing through their eyes the wonder of you know they <laughs> my students don't remember the really heated elementary school debates we had about whether Darth Vader was lying or not about being Luke Skywalker's <laughs> father you know there were, there were week month-long grudges and arguments and fights in elementary school about what that really meant was that true or not and and my students now know right yeah, yeah that's not the big pivotal thing they're coming at it from a completely different perspective but but that's fantastic too it's all good you know um yeah. and i think it's a great time to to be interested in the conversations that are being inspired by these works and uh i'm 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 delighted by what's happening, to be honest. 
I'm very curious about your your conversations with students in particular, because, you know, as somebody who has taught popular culture myself, uh, it's always interesting to see students that that light go on, that the things that they love actually have substance and meaning. And, you know, it's not just escape as nonsense. Um, these works actually do speak to the human condition. They're asking us to ask questions about who we are, our place in the world, our relationship to each other people. Um, all of those things are really important and not dismissible, like some people have thought. I'm curious, like, when when students take your class and you're like, Star Wars matters, what's their response? There, uh, There's a couple things that fascinate me about the response. Um, one is that, first of all, I, I get a lot of students who are already fans. They don't need to be convinced, although they're surprised that, that there are reasons why they liked what they liked so much. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was more than just this. Yeah. Really, I didn't realize I was thinking about free will versus destiny. I didn't realize I was thinking about, you know, the ethics of this, that, or the other. I didn't realize I was thinking about whether history is a, is a, a, a circular uh, repetition of, of uh, patterns or if it was an upward trajectory. You know, I, I didn't think about those things. But a lot of students, surprisingly, are, are new to these works. And the reasons I get for, well, why did you take this if you didn't or you weren't already interested, is that they know and love someone who, who is deeply mm -hmm. invested in these works. And they see learning about it as a bridge to someone who's important to them. Mm -hmm. And it might be a, a parent or a grandparent. It might be their significant other. It might be their roommate who won't shut up about it. And now they want to figure out what's going on. But in that sense, they're also then discovering they get to have much deeper conversations with these people. That this is not just oh, I think Qui-Gon Jinn is really cool too. It's, wow, what did he represent when he was saying the Jedi Council is not moving in the right direction here? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean that the one Jedi who said, I'll be the empty vessel, I'll listen to the living force, I'll give up self, is the one who got to keep self after death. He's the one who was was gifted with you know individuality and, and eternal life essentially and getting to share that with the, the jedi because of his notion of service and because of his notion of of being attuned to the living force then he's the one who gets to to save everyone else what does that mean mm -hmm. um it's it's more than just liam neeson's cool there's something about this character that's important and so i think it's they instinctively know there's some reason these people care about it, that it's international, that it's intergenerational, but it's also really personal to them that they want to build a bridge to somebody through these stories. There must be some reason dad keeps talking about this, or there's some must be some reason my girlfriend says you have to sit down and watch these things. And so I, I love the fact that they're coming with so many of them say there's somebody in my life who matters to me that this matters to. So I think it does matter, but I don't know how. Mm. And so I love that. <laughs> I've been having these conversations for, like, I've been doing the podcast for a couple of years now. And more often than not, when I ask people like, how did you get into this? It is because an older sibling, friend, cousin, dad, parent, whatever introduced them to it. 
And so that they they started watching because it was a connection with somebody else that mattered to them. And then right. it became important to them. It's interesting to me that people would go so far as to take a college course, to pay to take a college course, to, like I, I think is wonderful. Um, but in order to 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 understand why this thing matters to this person. I, to me, that's beautiful. That's fandom is ultimately for me about community. It's about the connections we make with the text and with the other people who like the text. And I just think that's beautiful. Absolutely. Well, that's, it's one of the things that feeds me. I mean, they're, they're giving that back to me too, that, Mm. that continued sense that this is a community and that these things matter to people so much they share them with the people who matter most to them, you know? And so it's, it's a, it's a continual refreshing of <laughs> my energy source to hearing that from them. So I agree with you hundred percent. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. Uh, the other thing I think that, that I, I really get out of their responses is both of these works or franchises or storytelling universes give us the equipment to be self-critical in a, in a time when it's really hard to have conversations about big ideas and say, <laughs> maybe we're not doing things the way, the best we could. Star Trek is saying, you know, you're at point A, we're showing you a, a, a point C or point D that looks a lot better. It's on you to figure out how to make that leap. And, and in the process of showing us the better world, it asks us to think about what is holding us back from being that that tolerant, that peaceful, mm-hmm. that you know thriving uh, world that that we could reach. And and Star Wars is saying, you know, <laughs> uh, th- there are patterns that keep repeating, and sometimes we're the empire. You need to ask yourself <laughs> at any stage along the way: are 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 you are you the rebellion? Are, 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 you, are you the first order or are you the empire? And, and many times in the, the historical connections brought forward with Star Wars, we are, however you want to define we, I'm thinking of, for example, the United States or the West, mm-hmm. we, we are the empire. And yet through these metaphors, through these, these safe places to go and have a conversation, you can say, you know, Perhaps we need to be more like the good guys. Perhaps we need to think, how can we not perpetuate the patterns that are holding us back from creating the future we want to have? And and the students are expecting many times out of entertainment, feel-good stories. Yes. And it it real they they respond to the fact that they're being challenged to think about their society and to and and both of those those franchises also give them a lot of agency if they're going to point out you know sometimes we're not doing things the right way to get to where we want to be that also gives a lot of power to us to say well let's turn things around then and we're given characters we can identify with who aren't perfect who aren't superhuman or superheroes who do turn things around. So, so it's, it's not only an invitation to be self-critical and self-aware of what's going on, but an invitation to actually go out and change things. And young people react to that. Old people like me react to that, you know? And old people like me react to that. 
for for various life reasons, I've kind of like stepped back from a lot of things. So I, I actually I wasn't up on Andor. I didn't even know Andor was a thing until I talked to Emily, and she's like, "Oh, it's the best." I'm like, "Oh, I didn't." I Mandalorian was the last thing I knew existed. Um, I haven't seen Anakin yet. Um, but it's always interesting to me when people who who identify themselves as fans. So let me be fair. They identify themselves as fans, but then they're all like, well, like don't make it political. I'm like, were you watching the original? Like, were you paying attention at all to what it was saying? If you don't think something like star Wars or star Trek is political, how do you respond to that? Well, I'm baffled like you are. I, I don't think we have to like everything as much as we like the first thing all the time. Again, I think it's a sign that they're trying new things that you know some things are gonna hit more than others. And I'm perfectly happy for those other things to resonate with other people more, that's great. Um, I don't have to love everything new as much as I loved the original works. Although quite a few of the new works in both of these, I really, really love. But I think you're right. I think it shows a lack of awareness. Part of that may be what you saw at five was giving you something different that if you saw it at 50, mm -hmm. you know, if, and so it might be much more about nostalgia than it is about being aware of what the texts were doing, but you're quite right. Both Star Trek and Star Wars were born out of really difficult times. Gene Roddenberry discovered he couldn't make the political statements and these social critique he wanted to in works that were set in the present day and lost a TV show over it and realized if he was going to respond to the social unrest and war and injustice and all of the things that were happening in that very tumultuous 60s, he was going to have to smuggle it in through the metaphor of science fiction. And likewise, George Lucas coming out of you know, the Vietnam era and seeing cinema being so bleak and cynical and and showing anti-heroes. And he wanted this radical idea of, of hope in cinema again. At the same time, he's making a three uh, film you know, trilogy that is one big story, uh, mm -hmm. ultimately, responding to the Vietnam uh, uh, situation at the conflict. And again, <laughs> the US isn't the good guy there, according to Lucas. These are political works and they're also radical works in the sense that they're saying, we can go and do something about uh, the problems in the world. But they saw problems in the world and mm -hmm. they saw a lack of, um, you know, the, the, the very qualities um, that, that they wanted to affirm in their works. And so I agree with you completely. It's from the start, these were big idea, uncomfortable, you know, critiques couched in the hope that we can do better. And, and so I, th I think part of that must come from a sense of nostalgia and, uh, and some of it might come from just missing the point, but you're right. I, I think both franchises are moving forward on the whole, very much in the spirit that they were created in. And, uh, and inviting conversation and debate is a really hopeful act in and of itself, I think. 
I hadn't planned on asking you this, but I actually like what what you said kind of made me think. If if someone hasn't been part of the franchise in a while, maybe watched Next Generation when they were in their teenage, where would you recommend they start to re-enter mm. either Star Trek or Star Star Wars? This this new phase of creation for these franchises. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> that's rough. I'd kind Sorry. of have to know, know the person to know where yeah. to go there. Um, I I do think Rogue One and Andor together fit really well for people who know the original trilogy for Star Wars and 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 know the general. Um, vocabulary again yeah. if you know the death star if you know you know who who the empire and the original rebellion were you can you can go for that and and pick up and understand pretty clearly where it is and then go back and see all the good stuff in between and and there's a lot a lot of really interesting i love some of the animation i love uh, star wars rebels and i think um, you know there's there's so many other Mandalorian, another uh, great example. Again, sort of going off on the science fiction Western, the, the space Western motif, and so many shout outs there to uh, uh, some of the great, you know, Sergio Leone stories and 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 um, a, a lot of uh, a Kurosawa influence there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it depends on who the person is, where, where to start. Um, I think I actually know of some people who sort of fell out of Star Trek just because there was so much of it, uh, who have picked up with Strange New Worlds, the new series, who mm -hmm. find that accessible and a way to get back into, okay, well, if you like this version, Anson Mount's version of, of Captain Pike, and why wouldn't you, <laughs> then then go to Discovery and see him there, and then, mm -hmm. then find these other works. I just wrote an essay whose main pitch was people need to go back to enterprise and pay attention to enterprise. It kind of got lost in the conversation and it was doing some really interesting things. And fortunately, a lot of the new Star Trek works are now making references to it and pointing out this, this was actually doing some, some cool stuff and, and people didn't see it at the time. Uh, but, but again, it, I would try to sort of tailor it to that person's interest, but I would say I would say uh, uh, Rogue One and/or uh, Strange New Worlds might be accessible places to to get into the new storytelling and then sort of work backward from there. Perhaps. Yeah. What do you think? I, don't know. I I think so. Too. I think Rogue One might be the best Star Wars film. Like uh, that's a bold statement, but I'm I'm gonna agree with you. Pretty I'm... confident making it. Um, yeah. And like I must admit there was a point during the new trilogy where I was, I don't exactly, it was a little reflective moment. I went to see it with my niece who was about 10, 11 when I, when I saw it. And I was like, uh, this, I don't know, maybe this isn't for me anymore. Maybe I'm just moving on. And I've never been the person who's like, you know, this is my franchise. It has to be like me. I just kind of like, okay. And I saw her excitement. I was like, okay, it's for her. I get that. It's beautiful. But then I saw Rogue One. I was like, oh, this is really good again. Like, Oh, like it brought me back and yeah, rogue one. I haven't seen Andor yet. So I, I, I will need to check that out. Um, yeah, I think that's how I would do it. Maybe Mandalorian. Cause it's doing similar things with the idea of a bigger world of a, you know, star Wars to me, always like this, this metaphysical world is, is really important. Um, 
I think Mandalorian hits that really well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and Star Trek, I yeah i I really liked I really liked the first season of Picard. That's the last thing I saw, so I do need to go back and re familiarize myself with some stuff. So. I'm looking forward. We've got the third season of Picard, final season of Picard Mm. coming up here soon. And I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, I think that will, that will be some good stuff. I think they did a great job of balancing nostalgia for a character Mm -hmm. with bringing in new characters and making that a relevant conversation and not just relying on the fact that everybody loves (laughs) Jean-Luc because that could be a very easy show to make. Oh yeah. They didn't. They really, they really, they used him in a very uh, uh, fruitful way in the, mm-hmm. in the work, but, um, but, but resisted the easy track there, I think. It easily could have been a Christmas special. Nostalgia, feel good, him by the right. fire in a sweater, like, you know, Earl Grey <laughs> tea. And it wasn't. It, it actually, I, I, it was doing something, I think, like really interestingly subversive for, for Star Trek, which mm-hmm. the next generation did a few times, where like this idea of the Federation is not this altruistic perfect thing uh that there are cracks in it that we do need to keep going back and going like is this the best thing and to me that's the really interesting thing like exactly keep reflecting yeah yeah Yeah, deep space nine did the same thing yeah one of the great greatest of the treks uh, in my estimation so i think you're right i think that's it's subversive for trek but it's also in a tradition of subversiveness for trek which is yes which is nice to see yeah this conversation has been amazing. Are you up for some fast four? Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Let me have a swig of coffee here. All right, all right. Uh, this has been so much fun. Thank Take you. Take a drink of your coffee. All right, four questions. Amy, how much Star Trek is too much Star Trek? You occasionally need some good eye drops. And some caffeine, perhaps, if that's your thing. Uh, so stay hydrated, you know, um, practice personal hygiene, get some sleep. Uh, and otherwise, there's not too much. <laughs> Amy, what is one thing right now that fascinates you? Oh, goodness. There's so many things that, things that fascinate me. I'm reading this amazing book about um, the industrial Gothic, uh, 19th century um, the way the stories about mill workers in cotton mills, for example, uh, became transformed into very popular Gothic novels that were showing anxieties about young women leaving the home and actually having their own um, uh, careers and what that meant for the economy and what that meant for society, while at the same time putting them in new threats and, and you know situations about murders and, and that kind of thing. And looking in a larger way at how true crime has inspired fiction that would become didactic and trying to tell us, uh, give us lessons and uh, how all of that ties into larger questions about the subversiveness of the Gothic as a genre. So that's something I'm interested in right now. That sounds fascinating to me. I mean, my, my, my basic, you know, academic approach to most things is that they're whether they look like it or not are reflective of the issues going on in the time that they were created amen amen basic 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 fundamental truth amy kirk or picard oh oh (laughs) 
I'm wounded by this question. Um, yeah. We had great Kirks. We've had one great Picard. Well, we've had flashback Picards, mm -hmm. but um, goodness. My answer to Kirk or Picard is going to be Cisco. Fair, fair. <laughs> what is the geekiest thing you own? Oh, oh, I am glad you asked. <laughs> so I have a lot of lot of geeky things, a lot of geeky fan art uh, mm -hmm. on my walls. I have a Star Wars room, which oh. stuff I've had since, you know, 1977. Um, I have, again, Star Trek stuff all over my walls here in, in my office. But the geekiest thing I own is actually several things. They are dresses my mother made for me. Uh, my beloved mother made these she basically designed the uh, pattern herself uh there i can throw them on and go to a science fiction convention or i can put a nice blazer on them and give a a, a an academic talk they are made from vintage sheets star oh. wars star trek sheets hmm. bed sheets um one of the star trek ones a little heavier may have been originally meant to be curtains in a bedroom but they are vintage prints from both star wars and star trek so they've got you know uh, luke with his saber there and leia and her buns and and these wonderful old prints and it's a, a great way to take some some kind of ephemera from mm. from the merchandising of these franchises and and bring them out into the public and share the joy of these these classic old uh, artworks uh for the for these universes and and uh, bring them out and represent for them. So I would those would be my my geekiest things. That's beautiful. It's funny. I've I've actually thought about retiring that question because I'm like oh, I always ask that one. But the last couple of responses I've got like that was beautiful. Uh, Jack Ewers has a has a Dalek in his attic. Uh, <laughs> John Dorney had something really interesting. Like I get such an interesting glimpse into people's lives with that question. I'm not going to retire that question. <laughs> That's really oh, good. good. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got a, a Dalek in the attic would make a great book. I mean, that just sounds like the beginning of a of a very compelling memoir, right? There. Yes, yes. Jack, if you're listening, novel two, right there. That's right. Dalek in the Dalek in the attic. Um uh, I know you have some academic projects coming up. Um I actually kind of helped with one. I was very happy to do that. Yes, I love that email. You. No, anytime. Seriously, thank anytime. So anytime. Yes, so very excited uh, working with my good friend and colleague, Emily Strand, to co-edit two upcoming academic anthologies. They'll both be out, one and then the other, looks like in 2023 here. Um, awesome. One's already in production with Vernon Press, which is a scholarly publisher, but they are meant to be books that are very accessible to interested fans as well as academics. The first volume is called Star Trek, Essays Exploring the Final Frontier, and that will be out first. And then the second is Star Wars, Essays Exploring a Galaxy Far, Far Away. And we co-edited those. Emily contributed to the Star Wars volume. I contributed to the Star Trek volume, but we both had our fingers in both of those. And we've got people from all over the world, great experts and uh, just incredibly compelling, insightful essays on these works going from the beginning of the franchises all the way to the present. In fact, we've been updating 
these essays up to the very last minute before going off to the publisher. So they are as relevant and as timely as possible. We're really excited about those. The the essay that uh, Emily asked me to read was phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to the book. So yeah. Thank you so much. And where can people find you on social media? How can they support you? I have an official website at amyhsturgis.com, and that has links to a lot of my works, a lot of my essays and all are online. Um, It also has links to all of my social media, but I am predominantly on uh, Mastodon. I'm in the Fediverse there at D-R-A-H Sturgis. That's D-R-A-H-S-T-U-R-G-I-S at universidon.com. That's the same uh, Mastodon uh, Fediverse uh, instance that George Takei is on. Ah. That was a good place to go, but you don't have to be on Universidon to connect with me. I'm also still for the time being on uh, Twitter in a nominal way at D-R-A-H Sturgis also. And then I've got a couple of other things. I have a blog, I have a, a Tumblr because I'm an old. And uh, and so uh, you can find all those links. If you go to my website, you can uh, find all the places I am. But I uh, would love to, to hear from anyone and connect with anyone who's interested in these uh, universes like I am. I will link to all those in the show notes. I put my first Mastodon link in a show note the other day. Uh, Yay, it was, yeah. fantastic. I all the not, cool kids are doing it. <laughs> I have not figured out Mastodon. I, I do. This is where my my age comes into play. The, the curmudgeonly old man in me comes in and like, like I've spent all this time on Twitter building up a community. I have to start again. Like I'm too old for this. The Danny Glover line. But. Uh, I will I will reluctantly move on. Anyway, this has been a great conversation. I have so, so, so enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. Oh my goodness, I have too. This has just been an absolute delight and, and a joy. And I'm honored to be on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Anytime. Anytime you want to come back and talk about anything else you're geeky about, please do. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. Engage.